a kindergarten teacher was suddenly taken ill and a replacement was sought for her. The substitute teacher was at a loss what to do since she was given such short notice. So she decided to tell them stories. And at the end of each story, she would say, and the moral of the story is. So the children sat through dozens of stories and had learned dozens of morals. The regular teacher recovered and uh, from her illness and returned to the classroom. One of her students greeted her with a big smile and said, teacher, I'm so glad you're back. I like you so much better than the other teacher. The teacher is flattered and began to wonder why she is like so much better. So she asked the student, why do you like me better than the other teacher? And the little girl looked at her with big eyes and said, because you have no morals. <laughs> oh, the people we are about to study today have no morals. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 17. We have gone through now the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and we are in the seventh bowl judgment. The seventh bowl judgment will be the destruction on Babylon and then also carrying into the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let me give you a focus a question for today's message. It's this, what does the love of money ultimately produce? Revelation chapter 17. Let me read this to you in its entirety. We're going to see that chapters 17 and 18 are a unit, and uh, we're going to look carefully at each chapter. Chapter 17, Revelation. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mine 
which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you in your beautiful word, describe creation for us. And now you are describing what will happen even in the end times. Help us to revere you. Help us to fear you. Help us to use our time wisely. May your Holy Spirit guide us in our study today. He's called the Spirit of Truth, and may he guide us into your truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have uh, two major divisions for you today concerning Revelation 17. The first one is Babylon described. That's verses 1 through 6, beginning in verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. Uh, this is appropriate, by the way, because since it's one of the angels from the bowl judgments, from the bowl judgments come the destruction of Babylon. Now one of the seven angels said to John, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. The great harlot defined for us in chapter 17 and verse 5 is none other than Babylon. So the question that we need to ask early on in our study, is this a literal Babylon? The one that's located 50 miles south of Baghdad. Let me read you a quote by John Walvoord. And I want to present to you today that throughout church history, most commentators have believed that this is not a literal Babylon. We'll see that Walvoord's in this camp as well. Quote, in general, however, it is helpful to consider chapter 17 as dealing with Babylon as an ecclesiastical or spiritual entity and chapter 18 as dealing with Babylon as a political entity. So let's break this down. 
Walver is saying Revelation 17 is ecclesiastical. In other words, it's a religious system. It's not a literal Babylon. And then when you get to chapter 18, it's speaking of a political system. By the way, Walvert also sees a revived Roman Empire. Now, a tremendous scholar and student of John Walvert is Charles Ryrie. And this is what Ryrie has penned. Babylon the Great. Though the famous city of Babylon was on the Euphrates River, the name here seems to be a symbolic reference to Rome. In chapter 17, Babylon represents the false religious system that will center in Rome during the tribulation period. In chapter 18, it represents more the political and commercial aspect of the revived Roman Empire headed by Antichrist. Thus, the term stands both for a city and for a system related to the city. But I'd like to draw your attention to the word harlot as Babylon is described here. When you study this word in the New Testament, it's porne, and you're probably connecting the English term pornography with it, and you would be right. Porne occurs 12 times from the Greek New Testament. It is used of literal fornication, and then in relation to Babylon with idolatry, never as religious system. The Old Testament uh, Hebrew word is zanah. And zanah is used of idolatry, as it is in Jeremiah 2, 20-31. Then also improper commercial alliances. Keep that in mind. Improper commercial alliances. That would be Nahum 3-4 and Isaiah 23, 15-18 of Tyre. Here's a, a question that I think begs to be asked at this point. Would the Antichrist allow Babylon, or should we say Rome, as many have interpreted this, to have its own system of worship when the Antichrist claims to be God himself? Why would he have a rival that he would partner with, in other words? That doesn't seem to make any sense. Uh, back in Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, speaking of the Antichrist, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. The Antichrist is going to claim that he himself is God. So why would he partner with a religious system? And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, speaking about the midpoint of the tribulation, when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, and then he goes to that future temple in Jerusalem, desecrates it by claiming that he himself is God. Recall he sets up the abomination of desolation, the idol that comes to life. But listen to 2 Thessalonians 2.4, a description of the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Clearly, the Antichrist will have no rival. He's certainly not going to partner with anyone. 
Now, coming back here to our text in chapter 17, speaking about Babylon, it's described who sits on many waters. What does that mean? I love when the text tells us what it means. Just let your eyes come down to verse 15. Still in chapter 17, verse 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits, see that's Babylon, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Speaking here about the global influence that Babylon has. Sitting upon many waters among many people will see that their strength is commercial. Now down in verse 2, Babylon has prostituted herself with partners because it says here with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. Babylon has control because of economic prosperity. In other words, she sits at the helm. And then our text continues. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The inhabitants of the earth, you recognize the term, the earth dwellers from cot down or keo to dwell. Those inhabitants of the earth who say this world is our home but these individuals are drunk with the wine of her fornication uh, flip the page over to chapter 18 come down to verse 11 and we're going to see a lot of economic ties with these two chapters chapter 18 verse 11 and the merchants of the earth see those who are fornicated with her will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. See, this is when Babylon is destroyed and the merchants stand back and they go, oh, our means of making money is gone. And also in your chapter 18, verse 15, the merchants of these things who became rich by her, see, that's how they have prospered with this association will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Chapter 17, verse 3. So he, the angel, carried me, John, away in the spirit into the wilderness. Perhaps this is into the region of Babylon where there is much desert. Here he continues, and I saw a woman, that is Babylon, sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy. You have to ask the question here, who is controlling whom? This is probably a mutual relationship. They're uh, benefiting off of each other. But notice there is an addition that is added to our text. Back in Revelation 13, we learned about the beast, the Antichrist, called the sea beast. Here, a scarlet beast. The identification of red, perhaps because of the slaying of the martyrs throughout the tribulation. Now he's a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy. The Greek word for names, anamana, here is neuter. So it's not pointing to the woman, Babylon, but to the beast. And notice this on the beast which was full of names of blasphemy. That fits everything that we've learned about the Antichrist. Back in chapter 13, 
uh, in verse 1. Let me just read this to you. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Down in verses 5 and 6, chapter 13. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Now verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. We also see back in chapter 17 and verse 3 that he has seven heads and ten horns. This will be interpreted for us shortly. Now down in verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, again the woman Babylon, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, sounds costly, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Now, I know some have taught the ecclesiastical political systems showing separateness between chapters 17 and 18. But may I present to you, there is just one theme that unites chapters 17 and 18, and that is wealth. Uh, today, we are going to study the unity of these two chapters and then Lord willing, next time, as we study chapter 18, we're going to get more into the details of its destruction of a future literal Babylon based upon prophecy, Jeremiah 50 and 51, and then what is just taught so very clearly in Scripture. But there's one theme. The theme is wealth. Now, get your fingers ready. Keep them limber here because we want to go back and forth with chapters 17 and 18. I want to give you nine points of similarities with these two chapters. Uh, number one, the name is the same. Notice in 17.5, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great. There's Babylon. Chapter 18 now, verse 2. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. So we have the name. It's the same. It's Babylon the Great. The identity is the same. Look at 17, 18. 17, 18. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Observe that great city. And now over to chapter 18, verse 10. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city. Identified here as Babylon. So the name is the same. The identity is the same, that great city. And now number three, the clothing is the same. Look at 17, 4. The woman was arrayed in purple. Flip to page 18, 16. And saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen. Here's a word, purple. Number four, they both have a cup. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup. Now, chapter 18. Verse 6, render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. So they both hold a cup. Number five, the kings act 
the same. In 17.2, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. That's her key word. And then over to chapter 18 in verse 3. For the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Are you seeing all the points of similarity? Number six, the same relationship with the nations is given in both chapters. Notice in 17.2, notice the word drunk. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now in chapter 18 in verse 3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. It's kind of feel like a tennis match isn't going back and forth. Okay. Stick with me just a few more. Chapter 7. You have the same relationship to believers or the saints. And the idea is blood. Because the blood of the saints has been shed. Look at 17.6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And then over in chapter 18, verse 24, and in her hand was found the blood of prophets and saints. Number eight, the destruction is the same. In 17.16, and then we'll see in 18.8, destroyed by fire. 17.16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. 18.8. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire fire and then finally the source of destruction is the same it's none other than God in 1717 for God has put it in your hearts to fulfill his purpose to what destroy Babylon now in chapter 18 verse 5 for her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities and down verse 8 Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Very clear, is it not? The connections there, unmistakable. Now back to chapter 17, verse 5. John now draws our attention to the woman's forehead and on her forehead a name was written perhaps similar to the seal back in chapter 7 in verse 3 of the 144,000 witnesses notice the word here mystery mystery and I'd like to point out to you this is not part of the title although in my Bible it's written in all caps mystery Babylon the great the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth uh, this term mystery is a noun it's, it's not an adjective which would be part of the title a mystery a mysterion is a sacred secret it was once hidden but now it's unveiled. We are learning more about the future destruction of Babylon here. Notice as well, Babylon the great, the mother 
of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Babylon is an ancient city. You go back to Genesis chapter 10 and consider the name Nimrod, who was a rebel. And then you transition to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. And remember, God wanted the people to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he said, no, God, we're going to stay right here. We're going to build our own kingdom. We're going to do it our way. And that's when God spread them out. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. In Matthew chapter 4, you have the same thing. In Luke chapter 4, Satan takes Jesus, puts him on an exceptionally high mountain, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Babylon has known great glory. And Satan says, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And our Lord would not. He is looking for the future Jerusalem, if you will. Revelation 21 and 22. So now back here in verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. We also see the same concept of the blood of the saints in chapter 18 and verse 20. This is a wicked system that will not tolerate anything that has to do with God. You have to recall that we've had many people come to Christ throughout the tribulation. In Revelation chapter 7, 144,000 witnesses are suddenly raised up. They come to Christ and evangelize. The next vision given in chapter 7 is this innumerable multitude. Then you added two witnesses in Revelation 11 for three and a half years prophesying. And then finally in chapter 14 verse 6 you have the angel flying through the sky preaching the everlasting gospel. The Antichrist and his associates will hate anything godly and whatever they can get their hands on they will put to death. So in verses 1 through 6 we have Babylon described. Now in verses 7 through 18, the remaining of the chapter, we have Babylon destroyed. Babylon destroyed. Verse 7, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? See, John was astonished, this goes back to verse 6, at the mystery of the woman, Babylon, and of the beast that carries her, the Antichrist. Now, think about this. Go back 2,000 years. John is simply on the Isle of Patmos, banished there for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus comes and reveals to him what is going to happen thousands of years down the road in the end times. No wonder why he's astonished. And then we have some interesting phraseology in verse 8. Notice here, we have the summation of the Antichrist. Verse 8, the beast that you saw was. So the Antichrist, he's existed and is not a reference to Revelation 13.3 when he suffers a fatal wound and dies. See, he dies and will ascend out of the bottomless pit, a reference to the resurrection. This is why all the world worships him, but notice here the end game, 
and go to perdition. And we'll study that in chapter 19 and verse 20 when he is thrown alive into the lake of fire. And I know you want to say amen at this point. Who's doing the marveling here now in verse 8? It's the earth dwellers at the destruction of the Antichrist in Babylon. Verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. This is written for the saints, by the way, during the tribulation. They are the ones who are looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ and need to stay strong to the end. Description now, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. The seven mountains or hills are traditionally associated with Rome. Let me read you a quote from Walford, at least part of the quote. Many expositors refer this to Rome. Seven hills form the nucleus of the ancient city on the left bank of the Tiber. These hills receive the names and then he gives the seven of them. But I'd like to present to you that I don't think that's the case at all because here in verse 10, now unfortunately, the New King James Version translates, there are also seven kings. But the NASB, I think, gives us a better translation here, which says, and they are seven kings. In other words, the mountains are not literal hills, they are kings because that's what we are told here in verse 10. Now a description of these kings. It says five have fallen. Now here is something that is so very important for you to keep in mind. These are kings that rise during the tribulation. Sadly, when I read commentaries, many go back centuries before, millennia before, and start talking about former powers. You can't do that. We have three time zones in the book of Revelation, past, present, and future. Where are we? We are in the future time zone. So with that in mind, we have to see these as tribulational kings. And that takes many things off the table because we can't identify them because they're not identified for us clearly here. Five have fallen. Notice this one is. That is the Antichrist before he dies. And the other has not yet come. A reference to the Antichrist when he is raised from the dead. Verse 11. And the beast that was. Verse 8. The Antichrist. And is not. See, Antichrist's death. Is himself also the eighth. And is of the seven. That'll make you do some thinking here, won't it? <laughs> uh, the idea of him being the eighth is that he is triumphant. That he endures these things. Well, he'll be triumphant for a while at least because the end of verse 11 says, and is going to perdition. The idea of not annihilation, but destruction. Verse 12 continues the interpretation going back to 17.3. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. Again, ten future kings, tribulational, who are working in conjunction with the Antichrist. This corresponds with Daniel chapter 7. So let's go back and see the 6th century BC 
prophecy given to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, thinking here about the ten horns. Keep that expression in mind. Now, Daniel 7, 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. By the way, the fourth beast is never identified in the book of Daniel. People jump to the conclusion it is Rome, never identified. Notice this, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had, here's your expression, ten horns. That corresponds to 17, 12 of Revelation. Verse 8 here, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, reference to the Antichrist, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there. In this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Pompous words. Well, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, the Antichrist claims to be God. In Revelation 13, he blasphemes God. Those are pompous words. Now stay in Daniel 7 and just come over to verse 24 with me, please. See what Daniel says here? The ten horns are ten kings. Sound familiar? Who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. And it goes on to talk about, again, pompous words speaking of the Antichrist in the very next verse. Amazing how scripture correlates, never contradicts itself, but if you will, works perfectly together. Back with me to Revelation 17. Speaking here about the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they shall receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. The one hour here correlates with the short time mentioned back in chapter 17 and verse 10, equal to three and a half years. In the same way, when Satan is cast out of heaven, he knows his time is short, right? Because the second half is the great tribulation. These also know that their time is short. Verse 13, these are of one mind. See, they support the beast in his role, the Antichrist, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. That's the ten kings. There's an alliance. Verse 14, these will make war with the lamb. Again, the conscious purpose was not at Armageddon to fight against the king of kings and lord of lords. No, they were fighting against one another, if you will. But when Christ comes back, they turn on him. And the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and kings of kings. That's his description, by the way, in Revelation 19, 16, with the second coming. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Revelation 19, 14 says, we return with Jesus Christ. We are following him, and we are considered to be the faithful ones there down in verse 15, which we've touched on briefly before, shows the harlot's influence, Babylon's influence across the world. And now in verse 16, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast 
perhaps here they're envious of the economic prosperity of Babylon. <laughs> These will hate the harlot, that's Babylon, make her desolate and naked in the sense of plundering her wealth, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. We'll see in chapter 18, verse 8, God is the cause. Verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast. God is the sovereign one. He is working. Notice this, until the words of God are fulfilled, which will be the destruction of the Antichrist and the destruction of, of Babylon so down here in verse 18 and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth I like to present to you that this is a literal Babylon who will have great authority because of her economic prosperity now having said all of this what can we learn practically clearly these are dealing with end time events the church will have been raptured Revelation 3.10 says that God is going to keep us from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world. We are not appointed to wrath. That's 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9. So we're not going to experience these things. But can we learn? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable. What are we to glean from this? Let me give you a main point. Do not love filthy lucre because it leads to permanent bankruptcy do not love filthy lucre because it leads to permanent bankruptcy let's look at some of the timeless truths of our lord jesus christ turn with me to matthew chapter 6 in closing you recall that jesus says you can't serve two masters right so what did he have to say about finances come down to chapter 6 matthew verse 19 the command do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Money only lasts for so long. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures where in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also the lamp of the body is the eye if therefore your eye is good your whole body will be full of light if you have the singleness of christ and using your money for the cause of christ then it is not mastered you but you have mastered the money verse 23 but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in you is darkness how great is that darkness now the the words we know so well no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and mammon warren wearsby who recently had gone to be with his precious lord wrote it is not wrong to possess things but it is wrong for things to possess you. Do not love filthy lucre because it leads to permanent bankruptcy. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for the lesson we learned today. The accuracy of your word. And we need not to shy away from it and give things symbolic meaning when it's so clearly literal. There will be a future Babylon that will be destroyed, that will have economic prosperity, that will be in association with the Antichrist. And Lord, we know that money has been the God of so many in this world and will continue to be so. But Lord, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, may it not be our downfall because the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Help us to use what you entrust to us for the furtherance of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that if we have two masters today in the sense of trying to have money and Jesus, that we will bow before Jesus because he is eternal. Help us never to allow money to crawl into our heart and take over. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.